Chapter 2 The Crystal Stone BYU has long been on the forefront of archaeology in Antarctica, and 15 or 20 years ago they made history by finding evidence of a little rodent that had been found on all of the other continents thousands of years ago, but had vanished before man came. This was the final proof of the Gondwanaland theory that held that all of the continents were at one time just one big landmass. Making this find cemented BYU's reputation in the fields of paleontology and archaeology. Since that time, many other organizations have mounted expeditions and have found many exciting artifacts indicating that Antarctica was once in an almost tropical latitude with a hot climate and lots of vegetation and animals, including dinosaurs. Our current expedition was unlike all of the others because we were in such a hurry. Just four weeks ago, I had just happened to be in the office of Dr. Markham when she was startled by a call from church headquarters. She was asked to come to the church office building at her earliest convenience. Then the caller seemed to pause as he was given more instructions, and she was then asked to come at once that very morning. She asked, or rather started to ask some questions, but was put off and was again asked to come right away. At that point she was all business and simply said that she would be there in an hour. Then she realized that she had not brought her car to campus and needed transportation. I was there. I had a car. I was forced into service. It was a fast but very quiet 50-mile ride to the church offices in Salt Lake City from BYU and Provo, but I could still feel the tension. I waited in the lobby for over two hours and was getting pretty hungry when she finally came out. Wow! That fifty-ish woman looked to be about twenty years younger. <laughs> she was positively radiant. She really glowed, and she was so excited that I could hardly stand it until we got in the car, and then she began to tell me. I was just a student that happened to be in one of her classes and just happened to be in her office at the time of the call, or I probably would not have been included at all. But there I was, and she just couldn't keep it inside. It seems that one of the seventy, Elder Dickerson, was on assignment to Norway when a member asked to see him in private. He agreed and met the member in their home in Oslo. The member explained that he was not sure what to do, but felt that he should bring something to the attention of the church and hope they would know what to do. Elder Dickerson just listened, not knowing what to expect. <clears throat> the member explained that his father had just died, and in the process of disposing of his belongings, they found a small chest that had been in the family for several generations. The chest was very strong, iron box, about 12 inches in each dimension, with a large padlock that had no key. The member said that he had heard there was such a chest in the family, but that it was taboo, and was not to be opened under any circumstances until God sent a representative to open it.
He had discounted the story as a tall tale and only found the box when cleaning out the old home, getting it ready to sell. There was a leather envelope or satchel attached to it that gave the same warning, and it was signed by the great-great-grandfather of this member and dated in the year 1810. The chest was then given to Elder Dickerson, who promised to deliver it to church headquarters. The following Tuesday, it was in the hands of the brethren, who immediately contacted the BYU head of the Department of Antiquities, who arrived Wednesday morning. After a brief consultation, they sent the box to BYU for a complete examination. The excitement was growing, and while en route to BYU, they called ahead and the team was assembled. They immediately began taking pictures of the box from every angle while X-ray equipment was assembled. The X-ray film was fogged. So they tried two sets of prints and then sent to another department for new film. They had it in 20 minutes, and it fogged too. Then they panicked as one of them said, Maybe it's radioactive. The runners were again sent for radiation detection equipment. They all breathed a little easier when no radiation was discovered. But there was a great big question of what could fog X-ray film and not be radioactive. Was it dangerous to humans? Elder Dickerson was sure that it must not be because it was on the other side of a wall from a sleeping room where various family members slept for nearly two centuries with no harmful effects. Then they assembled several other kinds of radiation detection devices and still could detect nothing. They also tried several other X-ray machines but met with the same fogged film. After a short consultation and a call to the prophet, who agreed, they decided to open the box. The plasma torch was already there and was ready to begin. It had previously been selected as being the least invasive or damaging way to cut through the hasp, preserving the padlock. A pair of bolt cutters could have done the job, but would also put tremendous strain on the lock, and they did not want to damage it. The torch made a nice, thin, straight cut through the lock, and it easily came off the box. Elder Dickerson was invited to open the box. He gently opened the box and stood back for the cameras to see the contents. There was a book. It was leather-bound and looked well used. Elder Dickerson was about to pick it up, but was delayed until the cameras had done their work. It was obvious that there was something else under the book, but the book hid what was beneath it. Elder Dickerson was allowed to continue. Then he gently picked up the book and found that it was in remarkably good condition and completely usable as a book. The leather was still supple, and all the pages could be turned with no damage being apparent at all. But no one was looking at the book. <laughs> Under the book was a wooden block which filled the box to each edge. In the middle of the block was a deep depression that surrounded and protected a clear glass or crystal stone. 
It appeared to be very smooth and about the size and shape of a duck egg. Once again, Elder Dickerson stood back waiting for the photographers to do their work. As soon as he was allowed to go into the box again, he began by touching and feeling the wooden framework that was obviously placed around the stone to protect it from being tossed around in the chest. It was precision work, and the stone was well protected. Then Elder Dickerson touched the stone. During the space of about one second, the stone became as bright as a 60-watt light bulb. Elder Dickerson jerked his hand back, but the light remained very steady. Everyone in the room was stunned into silence. There was absolutely no noise, and people forgot to even breathe. Elder Dickerson involuntarily put his hand in and touched it again. The project director did not have time to yell a warning. Elder Dickerson just did it. In the space of another second, the stone increased in brightness to equal two or three hundred watt bulb. Elder Dickerson was having fun. He touched it again, and it became so bright that everyone in the direct line of sight had to look away. It had to be equal to two or three thousand watts of light. No one was saying anything at this point, not even the director. Since there was no heat, as in a regular light source, Elder Dickerson touched it again, and it blinked out. He tried it several more times and found that each time he touched it, it would go to the next level of brightness or turn off. Always in the proper sequence and always at the same level of brightness. Elder Dickerson did this several times. He stopped and turned to look at the director. And they locked eyes for a very long moment. Then a very subdued director said, I gotta read that book. <laughs>